I'm going to speak to you today on the subject of the nature of faith and salvation. And I'm doing this because as I begin putting the church together, these are one of the building blocks that's critical, that you need to understand the interrelationship of faith and with faith, salvation. And it's important for you because as you go out and speak to a lost world, you need to be able to convey these thoughts in a way that makes sense. And so whenever we speak about faith, we always look to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, it's chapter 11 rather, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, uh, and we will call that the faith chapter in the Bible. Uh, and I'm going to cite the first verse, and I'm going to read it to you in the King James Version, because even though I don't use the King James Version, I believe that the King James Version is so lyrical uh, and so elevated that it, that it really deserves to be used. And here's what it says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How about that? The evidence of things not seen. That's faith. The substance of what we hope for, but the evidence of things not seen. And so just as our physical eyesight uh, gives rise to the evidence in a physical world, well, it's faith that gives rise to the sense of a spiritual world. Uh, and so it's important that you understand the nature of faith. And we're going to talk about that uh, in this message today. Now, we don't think, and God does not tell us to take a blind leap of faith. There's nothing about God that says we take a blind leap of faith. God speaks to our heart, and as he speaks to our heart, he also speaks to our intellect. And so we understand that, that as we do that, we, through our, our position of faith, we begin to understand the things of God. And so faith extends beyond our physical senses, much beyond our physical senses, and it, and it, be, and it really senses the spiritual. It discerns the spiritual. It discerns the word of God. Even now, as I'm speaking, in your faith, through the Holy Spirit, your heart should be going, amen, amen, amen. And that's really how faith does. Now, faith does not contradict reason. Does not contradict reason. Because it goes beyond reason. It goes beyond your intellect and your mental abilities. Your faith goes much beyond that. And here's one of the things. We all know the world will, will say that the Bible is an amazing book. But you see, we go further. The Bible is not just an amazing book. The Bible is the Word of God. Amen? You understand? It's the Word of God. It is the revealed truth of God. It is the veritable roadmap to heaven. How do we know? We know it through the Holy Spirit confirmed in our heart through faith. Uh, and here's the thing. We know that when we read Genesis chapter 1, we know that when God created the world, he said in his mouth with his word, let there be light. And when he said, let there be light, we know that all of the heavens and all of the worlds were instantaneously created by the word of his mouth. How do we know it? Because he said it. How do we know it? Because our faith confirms it in our heart and in our mind. How do we know it? By reason, because God has given us an intellect, and through our intellect we see the effects of intelligent design in everything about us. This is not the, the result of an explosion. This is the result 
of a knowing God who put it all together. And so you know it. And so the Bible speaks to us about faith in three passages that I want to I discuss with you today because I think this begins to open up this, this issue. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And in this passage, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, Jesus asked them, Who do men say that I am? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus said? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you to understand something. No mere intellectual decision was that made that, at that moment. That was faith given to him by the word of God, compounded by the Holy Spirit that allowed Peter to say, thou art the Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I want you to understand exactly how this takes place because sometimes we, we don't think about it uh, in terms of the intricacies of what's going on. In your life, at the moment when you recognized you are lost and you needed a savior, at that moment, as you reach up from the muck and mire of your life and say, God, help me, Lord, I need a savior. And when you make that request, God instantaneously reaches across eternity, reaches across eternity and puts faith into your heart. He gives you the very faith that then allows you to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You can't even take credit for the faith that you have. He gave you the faith. I want you to understand that. This is an important thing to understand. God gave you the faith. Now, we nurture the faith. We grow the faith. We walk with the faith. But the element of faith that allowed you, that allowed you and brought you to ask for salvation was a gift from God by grace of Jesus Christ. And so you need that. Another passage demonstrating faith leading to salvation is found in John chapter 11, verse 25. And this is a passage where Jesus is speaking with Martha. And he says to Martha, and he says to Martha, quote, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And her response, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. That, folks, is the demonstration of the faith that God gives you, that you recognize that you are standing before the Son of God. And in that faith, at that moment that you express your faith, your salvation is inextricably linked. You are saved because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then look also, if you would, at the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and the very last verse in the Gospel of John. And in that last verse, the, ver the quote is as follows. These stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you understand it. The Bible isn't written so that our, we are intellectually titillated. The Bible isn't written so that we can have stories that we can tell one another. The Bible is written so that you will see the word of God coming to life 
And as you see the word of God coming to life, your faith is restored. And as your faith is restored, you reach out to God and you're saved. That's what this is all about. All right? That's why we come together here on Sunday. That's what this service is all about and what God has called us to do. And so we need to be able to speak about these issues and we need to speak to a lost world that needs to hear it from us. Uh, And so clearly you need to step even further. And so having a life of faith involves being convinced, being convinced that what the Bible teaches is accurate, especially what it says about Jesus Christ, that every word in this book is true, and every word that speaks of Jesus Christ is also true. And so just as we do that, then we understand that faith is more than just believing. Our faith is not just believing. When we accept Christ and we believe in what he says, our heart, our heart confirms it. But now God expects that we step out in faith. God expects you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And just like we saw today that we're doing missions and we're being involved in missions, this church is going to be founded on the predicate of doing missions. I've already promised you that, that whatever income we take in, after it's spent to to pay for the rentals of the property, everything else will go into missions, all right? Because that's what God expects from us, to be the hands and feet. That is how we show God that we are sold out to Christ. We don't just have an intellectual discussion. I don't just sit here and, and play mind games with you, but my faith reaches out to God and then my hands and my feet move out and, and also serve God. And there's a verse that says that specifically, and that is Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. Uh, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to you. If your grandchildren ask you, Pop, Mom, why? what is the purpose of my life? Why did God create me? What is the grand purpose of my life? That's the purpose of your life. You understand? It's not, it's not for you to have some intellectual discourse about where you may be and what you may do. God made it so simple that we confound ourselves. You are to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does this mean? This means that the call of God on our lives is that we are to engage lovingly with the world for the sake of the world so that God's will might be done and through him in faith done by him. That's why you're called. That's why you're here. This is a laboratory. This is a classroom. This is about equipping you with everything you need that when you leave here and you go out to the parking lot and you go out to the streets of Naples, you are fully engaged to advance the kingdom of God by being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so Christian faith has an important dimension, a trust dimension that we often don't talk about it. And trust concerns really the motive by what a person does. Uh, And and it's a a trust that makes us have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have that personal relationship, 
I would ask you that you come up afterwards and see me and we'll talk about it and we'll pray about it because unless you have that personal relationship with Jesus, meaning that you're fully sold out to him, that you know that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he holds you in the palm of his hand, that nothing, not a hair of your head will fall unless he so decrees, unless you understand that you cannot have a fully empowered Christian life. Uh, and I want you to understand that. And just as you understand that, you need to understand that the faith that God has given you was given to you by the grace of Jesus Christ. Not by anything that you deserved, all right, by any work that you de deserved, but totally, totally by the grace of Christ. And so what this means is this. It means that the realization of God's power in our life through the personal relationship of Jesus Christ, allows us to have a relationship of reverence and adoration uh, and, and submission in every moment of our life. And because of this, we live lives of peace and happiness and joy. And the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came, Jesus came to this world, that his joy might be our joy. And our joy might be, can I get an amen on that? All right, you understand that? And so if you're finding yourself that you're sad or you're depressed or you're downhearted, all I have to say to you is this, look, lift up, look at the cross. He's lifting you, he's calling you, all right? And I want you to have this. Look, it doesn't mean that, you're, that you've had a lobotomy, all right? It doesn't mean that you're lobotomized. It doesn't mean that you go through life even though things go, don't go your way, that you ignore them. God understands this. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know where you're going. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be with your loved ones. You're going to see Christ. You're going to see God in every possible way. And so this becomes to a greater understanding of what God expects from us. And so even as we study the scriptures, one of the things that we learn as we do it, is that as you receive the word of God, as you're hearing the word of God, the receptivity of yourself relates to how the word of God is accepted. What does that mean? It means that there's a, a passage that Jesus uh, spoke about in Mark, in Mark chapter 4. I won't read it, but he talked about the seeds being spread on different kinds of ground. You remember? Some were spread on stones. Some were spread on hard ground. But some word was spread on good ground, ground that was ready to hear it. And that was the ground that, that the seeds grew and flourished. And so here's what I want to say to you today. You are that ground because when your faith is ready and you're established and you know who Christ is, that faith is the ground. And so God will speak to you. He'll plant that seed. He'll plant that word in your life and it will grow. And as it grows, he will lift you up. He will affirm you. Uh, and as he does that, you will have joy uh, that you could never possibly understand. Really, when I look at you now, and when you first came into this place several weeks ago, so many of you were, were down hard. I understand that. Really, the last several weeks were very difficult for Linda and me as well. We were saddened. We were saddened because we had seen relationships broken. We saw an institution that we thought would never fail us. Fail us, all right? And, and we saw things that we never thought we would see. And so we were brokenhearted. But I have a word for you today, and that is this. Rely on God, not on man. Amen. Not on man. It is 
God's church, not man's church. And I'm going to clue you in. If God has called me to establish this church, if that's the call on my life, if I fail God, he'll take me out. He'll take me out and he'll put his person in here. Because none of us, none of us have an ironclad relationship to continue to do what we think is God's will when we don't walk in God's way. You understand? And so I want to say that to you. You were sad when you came in here. But then I saw your expressions when you saw that God had provided another place where your friends were here, where people who you knew were suffering and persecuted, some even possibly thrown out, and yet you saw the love of God and embraced it. God has given you this place. God has restored you, and that's the joy that God puts into our hearts. So I want to I re- relate that to you and make that promise to you. And so faith in Jesus Christ means this. It means turning away from sinful behavior and other objects and turning to him, giving him everything that we have, entrusting him with our lives and everything that he has given us. And such repentance involves our sins being forgiven and loving people and learning to be better followers of Christ. That's what it means, truthfully, to be accepting Christ and having that kind of life. And so, really, I want you to understand something. A living and vibrant Christian faith has at least three essential elements. First, believing. Second, trusting. And third, doing. Doing. All right? Doing. These cannot be separated in the life of the Christian community. All three Elements work together. The faith life of every single Christian must include all those elements. And so faith consists of a heart response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the faith response. But just, and that is how Jesus becomes our personal Lord and Savior. And now I want, to, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Because I want you to see what, what Paul says about this issue. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you a story, a personal story, a personal testimony. Well, Friday night, I flew back into Naples. I was in New Jersey, uh, and I flew back into Naples, and I had a midnight flight. I got back into Naples about midnight, and I sat next to a young woman, and I always pray. I always ask God before I get on, Lord, put somebody next to me that needs to hear about you. And inevitably, he does. And so I'm sitting next to him. I'm not kidding around. They ought to put that warning on the ticket. And so I'm sitting next to this young woman, and frankly, I wasn't in a mood to talk. I was tired. You understand? I was tired. I had worked all day. I'd driven a lot of miles. I was exhausted. But she wanted to talk. She wanted to talk. All right. So we talked. We talked. And after a while, I turned to her, and she was a very, very bright woman. Worked for one of the major accounting firms as a consultant. Was on the road 200 days a year. Can you imagine? traveling all over the United States 200 days a year. Uh, and, and she said to me, and I could pick, up, I could pick it up, that, that she wasn't happy. 
And I said to her, you know, you know what the problem is? You need to make God the centerpiece of your life. You need to make Jesus the centerpiece of your life. Until you make God and Jesus Christ the centerpiece of your life, you will not have happiness. You will not have stability. All you will do will be obsessed over work, flying all over, all over the place instead of having the proper priorities in life. And you know what she said to me? God put you in this seat. <laughs> I said, I know. <laughs> and then I said, I want you to read the sermon I'm going to deliver on Sunday. And I re she read it, and she goes, oh, this is good. <laughs> this touches my heart. I'm going to try to come, she goes, on Sunday. Now, she's not here, all right? That's why I can talk about her. But, but, but she's probably going to come at 5.30, I hope. But the point is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand? And that's how God wants you to live. That when you come into contact with these people, that you step up and you speak about Jesus. All right? You don't have to worry that they're going to think you're a flake. All right? That they're going to think you're a nut job. Because if you do it in a loving way, which is the way that I did it, it will resonate. We are called to be messengers. You understand? We're not called to save anybody, but we're called to be messengers. And so we have to understand that it is the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, that the world is desperate for it. They need it desperately. Look, in the Reformation, Martin Luther desperately tried to be righteous, desperately tried to be righteous. And, and as you study Martin Luther, as I have, you'll know that one of the things that he did, he became obsessed with confession. He was a Catholic a priest. And so what would he do? He'd go to confession, and as soon as he walked out of the confession box, he would think, oh, I, oh, another sin came into my mind. Oh, I got to go back. And so he'd come out, oh, oh, I got to go back. And this guy would go in and out of confession hour upon hour upon hour. True story. You can read it. It is only finally when the Holy Spirit revealed to his heart that our righteousness is not dependent upon our works that it is solely a gift of God that God called him to become one of the great reformers in the history of the world, all right? And the Protestant Reformation became uh, possible. And so it's understand this. And look, Paul is speaking here so powerfully, and what he's saying is faith is the channel by which sinners receive the righteousness of Christ. You don't work your way through it. You don't have to rise up some corporate ladder or rise up some church ladder, or, or join some church to become righteous in the eyes of God. It is solely by accepting Jesus Christ. And that faith and righteousness is poured into your, into your life. Faith is not a work. It's not a work. And so you need to understand this. I want to make sure that everybody in this church understands that. That the faith of God, the salvation of God, the righteousness of God is not dependent upon our works or about our personality or our status. Totally, totally upon the gift of God. And so understand something, that faith consists of three elements. It consists first of knowledge. It's no mere attitude of mind, but it involves content. Meaning what? True faith first comes to understand what God is about and what Jesus is about and what he has done for us. Yes, it's a knowledge that begins 
in your head, but it ends in your heart. You understand? Faith is not necessarily and not contingent upon your head knowledge. It's contingent upon your heart knowledge. Next, faith consists of a heart response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the key. Unless faith touches your heart and moves you, really, we do not understand the gospel. And I want to make that abundantly clear. And if that's not clear in your life today, you can come up and speak to me afterwards. Because that's the nature of how God has called us. It is the faith that comes into your heart that then motivates you to step out for Jesus Christ. And finally, faith consists of that commitment to Christ, that commitment, because faith is not speculative. It's not a speculation. We believe because we are sure. And I can tell you flat out that if you carved me up into a million pieces, I want you to know something. On every piece it would say, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Every single piece. That's how God wants us to live. All right, That kind of faith that is absolutely secure and without any doubt. And so Charles Spurgeon, that great English preacher, said it so well. He said, faith is not a blind thing, for faith begins with knowledge. It is not a speculative thing, for faith believes facts of which it is true. It is not an unpractical, dreamy thing, for faith believes elements which are in fact true. Faith is the hand which grasps the mouth which feeds upon Christ. That's faith. That's the kind of faith we want to have. And look, how do we look in the Bible when we go back and we look at the patriarchs? What lessons can we learn when we go back and we look at Abraham and Sarah? Here they are, called out of Mesopotamia. Uh, and this man didn't know God. He heard the voice of God. He obeyed. He walked out of that land. And he became the patriarch of our faith. We all come through Abraham and Sarah. And so here's what the Bible tells us. And you can look, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn there, because I want to read this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these people, meaning all the patriarchs, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were not looking to the land that they came from. They knew that God had given them a better place, all right? They had a vision of what God had done. It was as if they stood on the shore and looked across and saw heaven on the other shoreline. That's the kind of faith that God wants to give us. That's what it's about. They considered the promise of God and assured themselves that the promise had to be valid because it was God making the promise, not man. It was that promise that they embraced and they embraced it in their faith. And so here's the point. All these patriarchs died in faith. Uh, they did not live to see the fulfillment of those things that had been promised. And for example, Abraham never saw the numerous progeny that God had told him. 
that his uh, inhabitants would be like the sands on the shoreline. He never saw that, but he knew that if God made that promise, it was true. The, The Hebrew nation itself never occupied all of the lands, all of the promised lands that God had given them. You can look in the scriptures and you'll see that. Even to this day, they had not occupied all the lands. But their telescopic vision, relying on faith in God, knew that it was true. That he would, in fact, make that true. And so they never wavered. They understood what it is. They realized that this world was not their final home. This is the essence of this message today. The world that we're in, the disappointments, the suffering, the failure of men, all right, the failure of institutions, the failure of church, lest I say it, all of that, all of that, this is not your home. Your home is there. Don't lose sight of that. That's what God has called you for. That's the, that's the essence of your faith, and he wants to keep you straight as you look at that and understand this. Look, we are not content as, our, as the patriarchs were, not content to be strangers, and pilgrims refusing the urge to make ourselves comfortable. Don't get too comfortable, folks. Don't get too comfortable because God's going to move you to greater things. I want you to understand that. I look out at you and I see such great promise. I see such great giftedness. I see such great love as I have a chance to embrace each and every one of you. I want you to know God loves you. He loves you so well and perfectly that you have no idea what he's going to do with you and how he's going to lift you up. And so he, I want you to realize that today, that that is the purpose of our lives. That's what he's called us to be in every step that we do. And so I want you to be committed even more so today than you've ever been before to walk with God, to spread the knowledge about faith, to understand what salvation is. And if any of you are here and you haven't really closed that story, and close that gap. I want you to come up and I'll pray for you and we'll talk about it and we'll have that kind of discussion. And so any of you who are missing that kind of faith, don't leave here today. This is the kind of faith God wants you to have. This is the kind of faith that will empower you for the rest of your life. This is the kind of faith that when you sit down at the Thanksgiving table this week with your family and friends and you bow your head, the first thing you ought to say is, Lord Jesus, thank you for the blessings of my life. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be a Christian. Thank you for pouring your faith into my life. Thank you for leading me to people that love me and care for me. And thank you, Lord, to continue to give me the vision on the other shore, the other shore, so that I can do and be what you want me to be. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for these dear people. Father, you love them so much. And Lord, we are humbled to have them in our congregation. Lord, lift them up, protect them, Help them this week when they're with their family and friends that they can articulate this message, that they can talk about faith, that they're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give them that strength. Give them that courage. And give them peace. And even if those who are hurting today, Lord, touch them and lift them up and bless them. And Lord, we put all of these things. And thank you, Father, for the new place that you've given us. It's your church, Lord. It's not the church of men. It's your church. And so we bow and thank you for all that you are doing with us. Heavenly Father, we put this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.